2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, he stayed in Ziklag for two days. On the third day, a man arrived from the camp of Saul with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he approached David, the man threw himself to the ground. So once again, David has been in Ziklag this entire time. And he shouldn't be there because now he's going to find out that Saul's dead and Israel has no king. But he's not in Israel to take the throne. But first we need to deal with the death of Saul. So this Amalekite comes, and David asked him, Where are you coming from? He replied, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David inquired, How are things going? Tell me. He replied, The people fled from the battle, and many of them fell dead. And even Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. And David said to the young man who was telling him this, How do you know that Saul and his son or Jonathan are dead? And the young man who was telling him this said, I just happened to be on Mount Gilboa and came across Saul leaning on a spear for support. And the chariots and the leaders of the horsemen were in hot pursuit of him. And when he turned around and saw me, he called out to me, and I answered, Here I am. He asked me, Who are you? I told him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me, Stand over me and finish me off. I am very dizzy, even though I am still alive. So I stood over him, and I put him to death with his sword, since I knew that he couldn't live in such a condition. Then I took the crown which is on his head, and the bracelets with which are on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. So this man comes back and reports to David that Saul is dead. And David says, How do you know it? And the man says, Saul begged me to kill him to put him out of his misery, and I killed him. Now what has he just done? He's lied. He lied about killing Saul. Now what most likely happened is, he's discovered a body that has the crown and the armbands of the king. And so he's realized that this is Saul. He probably even recognized him because Saul's been around for a long time. And so he's going back to David. He's going to tell him the story about him killing Saul. Now, why in the world would you lie about killing somebody? He wants a reward. This is the great, great enemy of David that has made his life miserable for all these years. And he thinks, it's my lucky day. I've got this crown. I can prove that he killed him. I kill him. I'll go back and David will give me a reward. Verse 11, David then grabbed his own clothes and tore them, as did all the men who were with them. They lamented and wept and fasted until evening because Saul and his son Jonathan and Yahweh's people in the house of Israel had fallen by the sword. David's immediate response is to weep and begin to mourn. Remember, as, as much as Saul has made his life a very miserable experience for the last several years, there was a, a time that Saul and David had a really good relationship. And in, Saul was almost like a, a father to him in some sense. I'm sure Saul taught him a lot of things. And we also know how David feels about Jonathan. And so David is not even interested in anything around him anymore. The world basically stands still. This guy's information basically stands still. And he goes into mourning for all throughout the day and into the evening. Then he comes to the point where he can go confront the man again. Verse 13, David said to the young man who told this to him, Where are you from? He replied, I'm an Amalekite, the son of a resident foreigner. And David replied to him, How is it that you were not afraid to reach out your hand and destroy Yahweh's anointed? He uses the exact same phrase earlier why he would not kill Saul. So not only is he emphasizing that this is not good that you killed him, 
but you've gone against Yahweh. You've killed the person that Yahweh put into power. Then David called one of the soldiers and said, Come here and strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have put Yahweh's anointed to death. Now David deals with them. Now this is why you don't lie. You would say, yeah, but David, he's actually not guilty of murder. But David doesn't know that. Remember, even in our court system, if you confess to a crime, that's all they need. They don't look for more evidence. They don't do cross-examination. Your own mouth has testified to you. That's like a slam dunk in every culture and every book's definition of guilt. And only in Hollywood movies does it turn out maybe they were just making that up to protect somebody because that makes it interesting. Most of the time that doesn't happen in life. This guy's mouth confessed it. Now he's dying for that. David has every right to execute this guy. Because this is a struggle like, well, David didn't feel like he had the right to kill Saul. And Saul was guilty of murder, truly guilty of murder. And David was king, should be the rightful king. Therefore, don't, doesn't he have the right to just execute it? Well, we talked about that already. He didn't because Saul was anointed by God over David. Saul was God's anointed king. And God put him into power, and God hadn't removed him yet. Therefore, David had to answer to him whether Saul was godly or worth it or worthy or respectful of it. Not. It didn't matter. The difference now is that David is the highest authority in the land. And David is the king, and he is God's anointed. And he is also called to be the judge of the land and execute and punish crimes. This man has not been put over him by God. This man has no special status. In this sense, he is one of David's subjects. He is guilty of a crime, and God, David has been commanded by David as the anointed king to deal with this. And he has had a trial. In the trial, the man confessed the crime. And the law said this is punishable by death. In this sense, David is totally legit in what he's doing. Now, what's interesting here is that you immediately see a difference between David's first day on the job and Saul's first day on the job. Saul's first day on the job, he was commanded by God to exterminate the Philistines, and he didn't. And he went home. And when he was finally anointed as king, he, there was a bunch of people who were making comments against him, God's anointed, and he didn't deal with them. Now, the narrator would not suggest that he should have killed them, but he should have at least dealt with them. And he didn't. And then he went back off into his fields. Here on David's first day on the job, he's immediately executing swift, swift judgment on a crime, and it shows that David is just. He's willing to act like a king. He is acting as a just king, and there is no hesitation. And this shows an incredible difference between the two right off the bat on their first day. Then David sings this lament. This is the hinge, the pivot between the two acts. And this pivot picks up on a lot of themes from Hannah's song because Hannah's song introduces the book. This lament is the pivot in the book. And David's last two songs at the end of 2 Samuel is the end of the book. And so David chanted this lament over Saul and his son, Jonathan. He gave instructions, and the people of Judah should be taught the bow. Indeed, it is written down in the book of Yashar. It's probably called the bow because this is a song lamenting warriors. 
the beauty of Israel lies slain on their highest places. How the mighty have fallen. Don't report it to Gath. Don't spread the news to the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. So basically David starts off with says the beauty of Israel. Now he's not saying that Saul is beautiful. He's saying that this is God's anointed. The anointed of God has been slain. The mighty have fallen. Do not report this to the Philistines because they're going to brag and celebrate it and rub it even more. And this says something about God. O mountains of Gilboa, where Saul died, may there be no dew or rain on you, nor fields of grain offering. For it was there that the shield of warriors was defiled. The shield of Saul lies neglected without oil. David's saying Gilboa will always have a negative memory in his mind. It's the place where he died. Gilboa should never have any more rain anymore because it's the hill of death now. And the shields of the warriors will never be used. It will never be oiled again. Now shields, you would have a shield to protect you, wood, to protect you from the arrow, but it was often covered with leather. And the leather was constantly oiled. And they would constantly oil the shield to keep it from the leather from getting dried out and cracking and brittle. And the leather, leather was beneficial because it helped slow down the arrow. It kept the shield from cracking or splintering when arrows hit it. And also aided in extinguishing fiery flames when they stuck as well. Sometimes they would even soak it in water before they went into battle. And so basically saying no longer will that shield ever be oiled. The warrior is now dead. From the blood of the slain and from the fat of warriors, the bow of Jonathan was not turned away. The sword of Saul never returned empty. Saul and Jonathan were greatly loved during their lives, and not even in their deaths were they separated. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet as well as jewelry, who put gold jewelry on your clothes. How the warriors have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your highest places. I grieve over you, my brother Jonathan. You were very dear to me. Your love was more special to me than the love of women. How the warriors have fallen, the weapons of war are destroyed. David mourns this relationship. Remember that Hannah, her song, it really emphasized the fact that God lifts up the poor, the weak, the downtrodden, and he makes them kings. And he appoints them as high positions. But he brings down the haughty and the pride and the powerful and wealthy. And he brings them down to well, low places. That was a very dominant thing in the song of Hannah. Not only that, the other thing was that God will lift up his anointed one. David immediately begins with how the mighty have fallen. Now, yes, it's a very sad thing that Saul has died. But we also know that Saul has been brought down because of judgment from God. And this fits that theme because Saul was a wealthy, powerful person already. And God lifted him up, not because God was lifting him up as a position of power for the sake of blessing Israel, but for the sake of judging them. And now he has brought Israel down low and he's brought Saul down low, fitting right into Hannah's comment, the prideful and the wealthy and the powerful brought down low. Meanwhile, David is this poor shepherd boy and this poor family that's desperately trying to make ends meet at the house of Jesse, and God lifts him up. 
And it's a very slow lifting up. But now this is the day because of Saul's death that David is being lifted up as the poor person who has no great family background, no wealth. He didn't seek it out for his own purposes. Even when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he still didn't do it. And even now he's still in the ashes of a Philistine city after being chased by Saul for over 15 years. And God is going to lift him up to one of the most powerful positions in all of Israel. And so this keeps that thing, even though David is lamenting the death of Saul, it still is fitting perfectly into the theme that Hannah has already established, that God brings down and puts people into power whom he wishes and whom he pleases. And David sees that here. It also begins with Israel, and then it moves to Saul and Jonathan and ends with a focus on Jonathan. But it shows you that David is mourning all of this, Even though he has every right to be bitter against Saul, there is a sense of mourning for Saul. 